Well, I was telling the first service, it's true, Matthew is in West Africa with the ministry that I'm usually part of, he's there with Drime, and here I am on the stage where he normally is on a Sunday morning, but I think I'm definitely the rustier one. I, uh, you know, didn't sleep much last night, and it sounds like a joke, but I was mentioning it to them earlier, I literally was having sermon dreams all night, you know, missing papers, they were stuck in the office, and then when they actually came back, my sermon notes were written on tortillas. So, no joke, this is like missions dreaming, mission Sunday dreams. So anyways, it truly is a privilege to be here. Build your kingdom here. Let the darkness fear. Show your mighty hand. Heal our streets and land. Set your church on fire. Win this nation back. Change the atmosphere. Build your kingdom here, we pray. So when Janet and the GO team first invited me to share this morning, I just instantly felt a couple of conflicted feelings. You know, the first response was, of course, 100%. I I love missions, and I love evangelism, and I love sharing the love of Jesus with people. I've always gravitated to ministries where I could, you know, share the gospel in a clear or creative way. Um, From the time I was a teenager, I remember hearing missionary stories like the ones we've been hearing on the screen here earlier today, and just instantly felt compelled. In fact, I signed up for the first international mission trip that I could qualify for and find. And so I've just always had a heart for days like today. I love them. On the other hand, I just instantly felt the sense of inadequacy. So yes, I've been a part of mission organizations for lots of years, but the last decade of my life has actually looked pretty different. Uh, Matthew and I had our first daughter, Lucy, 10 years ago, and life started looking pretty different almost immediately. Up until then, Matthew had been the youth pastor here at North Langley, and I was full-time directing the dry ministry. And so we found ourselves just going a thousand different directions, a very fast-paced lifestyle. You know, he would take a youth team to camp for part of the summer. At the same time, I would lead a dry team over to Brazil or to Thailand or to Kenya. And then we'd come back and we'd catch up real quick, and then we would, you know, split ways again and do something else. And um, it was a very stimulating and fast-paced and exciting and just a very fruitful time of life, and it was great. Then the babies came, and there were three in just over three years, and so life just really slowed down for a little bit. You know, international travel has been very minimal over the last number of years. Um, I do still work a bit with Drime, and I volunteer with with, with Alpha, which I just love here every week, but uh, the majority of my last decade has been raising my little ones, being a mom to Lucy and to Ella and to Micah. So so I said yesterday, with both this excitement for what God is doing all around the world, love hearing these stories, and also with just a very humble realization that missions has taken a bit of a different shape for me personally over the last decade. As I've started to pray that God would build his kingdom here, through me, in this city, in this season of my life, that I would be a fragrance of Christ wherever I go. Of course, you know, in a formal way with Alpha guests on a Wednesday night, but, but also with the families of the friends of my kids' classmates, or with the moms at the playground, or with the neighbors. And that's really my prayer for all of us today. So for some of you, first of all, you might be here, maybe you're brand new to Jesus, brand new to Christianity, somebody invited you to church today, and you're thinking, what is all this mission stuff? This just sounds a whole lot like proselytizing, and that's not really something that always has been that appealing in our day and age, has it? So first of all, to you, if you're here and you're brand new, welcome. 
We're just super glad you're here with us. And maybe the best way that I can explain what's happening here today is that it's just really good news. And you know how if somebody has good news, you know, a, a job, a baby, an engagement, we just want to announce it. You just want to share it with people. And that's really the heart of all our missionaries today. They just, they have good news in Jesus and they just want to share it. And for some of you here this morning, you're feeling that little nudge, you know, as you listen to some of these stories and perhaps you're feeling like, oh, maybe you're being called to a different city, a different language, a different people group. And, and if that's something that's stirring in you, I want to encourage you to not ignore it, but to pay attention to it, to, to pray about that and to listen to that prompting. But my guess is that for the majority of us in this room, we're kind of more than happy to leave the missionaries, leave the missions work to the missionaries on the screen and on the stage, right? We're more than happy to let them do their thing when they have the calling, and we're happy to pray and to give, and as important as, a, as necessary as those things are, uh, we're more than happy to kind of let them do the hard work of it. And I'm wondering if maybe there's an extra openness that we could all have in the room today. Uh, you know, maybe we could have a posture of open hands and just a readiness to live lives that honor Jesus in our city and in the spaces where we find ourselves in, the school, the workplace, with your colleagues, with your friends, your neighbors. Perhaps today we can open up our hearts and our hands and say, Lord, build your kingdom here in this city. If you have your Bibles, I would love you to open up our text for today, and it's in Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. And we're going to be reading verses 4 through 7. So Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. It says this, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is the word of the Lord. So the context for our scripture today is the Babylonian exile. So Judah has been conquered by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, and the Jews are basically deported from their homeland, and they're now living in a foreign land. Now, for Jews especially, this could have seemed uh, incredibly off-putting. You know, not only are they just away from their homes, but from their centers of worship and identity. You know, Jewish people would have been so dependent on the temple, on having their own nation state, an army, on national borders. And in a moment, all of that was gone. And here they are in pagan Babylon. There's several prophets during this time that have been falsely prophesying to them that they're going to return home. So they're basically saying, don't settle down here. This isn't where you're staying. We're leaving soon. But it turns out those prophecies are not true, and those prophets are later deemed as false prophets. So it's into this context that Jeremiah speaks his prophecy that will indeed come to fruition as you continue to read through the passage. Now, at first, it seems like a much harder passage because he's actually saying, we're not going home anytime soon. It's 70 years, to be exact, that we're going to be here in Babylon. 
So essentially the lifetime of that whole generation. So in this setting of long-term exile, of missing their home, their past, their identity, Jeremiah shares these words. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, get married, have children. I mean, this would have been crazy advice for the Jewish people who would have wanted nothing more than to get out of there and get home as soon as possible, right? Like who wants to build and plant and settle in the place that's taken you exile? I'm sure they were thinking, this isn't where I wanna raise my kids or build a family. As theologian John Goldengate points out, Jeremiah's message is telling them, your job is to flourish here. The destiny of the people of God is to increase, not decrease. And if that's not enough, Jeremiah goes on with something even more revolutionary. Take a look at verse seven. He says, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So here's Jeremiah telling the people of Judah to essentially pray for their enemies. This is a concept that we will see later in the New Testament, but this is the only place we find this in the Old Testament. So they're advised to seek the peace of the city. And I know many of you will understand this word peace, or you'll know this word peace in the Hebrew language. Let's hear it if you know what it is. Shalom, exactly. And shalom, commentators will always comment, means so much more than our English translation can get across in the word peace. But it essentially means peace and wholeness, well-being, the good, the flourishing. So this is what they're supposed to seek, the flourishing of the Babylonian regime, like the very ones that took them into captivity. Seek their peace. Seek their good. Pray for them. Pray for the shalom of the city. Work for its flourishing. Lord, build your kingdom here. Tim Keller, a pastor who's in New York, I'm sure many of you have read him or listened to him. I was greatly helped and encouraged as I listened to his interpretation of Jeremiah 29. He points out two ways the Jewish people could have responded in this moment. And of course, if you know Tim Keller, there's always the ideal third way. And as I learned from him, I realized these aren't too different from the ways we might find ourselves when we think about our own culture, our own city, this cultural climate that we find ourselves in. Perhaps we here in Langley can relate to this feeling of being in exile, of being home but not, not fully home, of living in a time and a culture and a society that feels antagonistic to our faith and to our values. And it really shouldn't surprise us, right? In Philippians, we're told that we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as Savior. So if our true citizenship is in heaven, then no matter where we find ourselves on earth, no matter where we're scattered, right, we're going to feel a bit of a clash, a sense that we don't quite belong, that indeed we're in exile awaiting our true home. And until Jesus comes to make all things right, this is our reality. We are in exile. And so there's a couple of ways that we can respond to the city, to our reality, right? The first one Tim Keller would say was this idea of assimilation. So you become just like them. We look exactly like the culture around us. The Merriam-Webster dictionary would define assimilate like this, 
to absorb into the cultural tradition of a population or group. To absorb into the cultural tradition of a population or group. Is this what it looks like to live in exile? Well, this very well may have been the Babylonians' method of conquering the Jews. You know, you're welcome here, but you need to become just like us. I know those of you who are familiar with the Bible, you're probably already thinking about a character that we've met earlier in this exact exile in Babylon. His name is Daniel, right? And Daniel and his friends were also taken captive by the Babylonians. They were given the best of everything, like best Babylonian food and education, even Babylonian names. So full assimilation would have been the goal here. Tim Keller points out, if you can assimilate a people group in every way, socially, culturally, economically, spiritually, then eventually they will lose their distinctiveness. So the Babylonians' hope would have been that the Jews would eventually lose their identity as the unique people of God. So assimilation. The second response, Keller points out, is the opposite of assimilation. It's what he refers to as tribalism. Tribalism. So kind of this idea of you know, turning your back against the culture, focusing inward, protecting your own kind. You know, maybe sometimes you become more known for what you're against than what you're for in this kind of attitude. And this could perhaps be what the false prophets at the time were getting at here. You know, they were saying things like, Babylon is your enemy. Don't settle here. Don't become too at home. The false prophet at the time, Hananiah, was actually predicting judgment on Babylon. Judgment, right? So this is definitely not the place you want to move into and raise your kids. Rather, he was saying, be removed from the city as much as possible. I mean, use it where you need it, use it for your business dealings, whatnot. But then get out of there. Despise it. Protect your own tribe. Look inward. So again, the first option in our response to culture and to our cities, it would be assimilation. Look just like them. Lose our distinctiveness. The second is the opposite. Despise the city. Judge it. Judge the culture. Use it where we need it, but maybe keep it at an arm's length. Surely there's a better way to live in exile. Let's look back at Jeremiah's passage there for us. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This, I think, is the third way. And I think this is what Jeremiah is getting at when he says to build, to plant, to settle. When he admonishes the people to pray for and to work for the flourishing of a city, for the flourishing of that wicked city, Babylon, a city full of idols. Work for them, pray for them. So far from despising our culture, we root for it. We lean in, we help, we serve, we bless our city, right? We're told in Jeremiah, if it prospers, we too will prosper. We don't lose our difference and our distinctiveness, but we use our difference of being God's people on mission to help and to bless and to love others who might not think the same that we think. Back to Daniel in this particular exile. He is a shining example of this, of someone who worked for the good of Babylon while retaining his unique identity as a follower of God. 
You know, he was actually working in the king's court, the highest level of the land, right? But he refused to take part in certain aspects of the empire. Some of you might remember that he denied some of the lavish foods that he was offered. And when prayer was outlawed, he continued to pray very visibly, right? So somehow, he was retaining this unique identity as a servant of God, but he continued to work for the good of Babylon, for the good of his city. So too, the early Christians give us a great example of this. And if you've been around North Langley for long, you've probably heard Matthew mention somebody by the name of Rodney Stark before. Rodney Stark is an author and a historian. He was very interested and researched much about the early church in the time of the Roman Empire. So in the first couple hundred years of the Roman Empire. And keep in mind, at this time, the Roman Empire is essentially the early church's Babylon, right? They had to figure out how to live in exile in the Roman Empire. So Rodney Stark did extensive studies on Christians during the time of some of the horrible plagues that were inflicting the empire. So while most people were fleeing the cities and others were deserting their loved ones for the fear of getting sick, there's even stories of people throwing the bodies of their loved ones out onto the street before they had died for fear of contagion. Amidst that, the Christians were noted as the ones who stayed, who went into the homes, who loved and served, who brought food and water and medical care for the sick. They served the city even at the cost of their own lives. I just love that, what a calling. Pray for the shalom of the city. Work for its flourishing. Lord, build your kingdom here. Not only do we work for the peace and prosperity of the city, but we pray for our cities for our friends and neighbors, our colleagues, our families, maybe even those we could feel are our enemies. Maybe people who see the world differently than us, leaders or politicians, those with a different worldview. Pray for them. Pray for the city. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And this, of course, is a theme we see carried right to and all the way throughout the New Testament. Listen to this from 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 2. It says this, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And then in Luke 6, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. And in Matthew 5, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Uh, most of us, I'm guessing, probably wouldn't think we have enemies, per se, right? And in this part of the world, we face very little actual persecution for our beliefs. But nonetheless, we no doubt sometimes feel at odds with the culture around us, right? That feeling that we're not quite home, not quite understood by those in our circle of influence. Jeremiah challenges us, pray for them. Pray for the city. Pray for the shalom of the city. Work for its flourishing. Lord, build your kingdom here. Now you know more than anyone, Jesus would have known that feeling of not quite belonging. That feeling of 
being home, but not, not quite home. And yet, who more than him knew about bringing shalom to a city? John 1.14 says this, the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And I love those words when we think about our response to the city. I love how the message puts the same verse. It says this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that great? Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhoods. Pray for the shalom of the city. Work for its flourishing. Lord, build your kingdom here. Some of you know that my, my sweet dad passed away a couple of years ago. And walking through that season of loss and grief gave me a fresh appreciation for the way that God uses his people in really unique ways. My dad would have never called himself a missionary, though he was the number one supporter, along with my mom, of zillions of missionaries and dozens of ministries. But my dad would never have been the one to, to board a plane and move us all to any place too terribly uncomfortable. In fact, I think the more mission trips I went on and the older he got, the happier he was when those airplane wheels touched back down in Canada. But when he passed away, our family was inundated with messages and comments, letters and texts, sharing of how much my dad meant to so many people. And it was kind of surprising. I mean, not that I didn't think my dad was lovable and generous and kind, of course I knew that, but he was quiet and unassuming and... He didn't seek attention, and he was just a down-to-earth home builder that lived on a farm in rural Alberta, and he quietly went about his business. But maybe it was the types of people we heard it from and the amount of people who told us how much they loved him and trusted him. Lawyers, accountants, bankers, fellow tradespeople, colleagues, those that worked under him, the, the people of the city. It, it just it blew us away. People commented on his integrity and his business dealings, that they knew my dad would never take advantage of them or cheat them in any way. They commented on his kindness, his father-likeness to so many who lacked that in their life. They commented on the safe place that my parents' home was to so many of them when their own families were breaking up. They commented on his no-strings-attached generosity, the way that he just helped and gave when it was needed. So, I can't help but think that my dad was actually a pretty good missionary. He quite literally built houses and planted gardens and worked for the flourishing of his city. Friends, I am personally very inspired by the legacy of Daniel, who served in the courts of Babylon by the early Christians who loved their suffering neighbors so well during the time of the Roman Empire, by my dad who lived out his faith just so simply in rural Alberta, by these missionaries who we've heard who are giving up the comforts of their life and who are making Jesus known, and especially, especially inspired by Jesus who gave up all the comforts 
right? Literally the splendor of heaven to move into our neighborhood and to dwell among us. That's really encouraging for me in this current season of my life with three little kids living in Fort Langley in my neighborhood. How can I best live in exile here? In this season, in this city. You know, I'm not really hopping in airplanes too often these days, but I am hopping in our minivan a lot and often heading up to Fort Langley Elementary School to fill up that minivan with all sorts of friends and neighbors and just hoping and praying that I would be a sweet fragrance to all that God has put in my life in this season. You know, whether it's popping popcorn for three hours at the school on Friday morning or filling up a couple rows with our school friends here for making spirits bright in December or inviting a spiritually curious friend to Alpha to come explore Jesus and Christianity or maybe just opening up my home to neighbors or being a listening ear to the hurting moms at the school. I just, I want to live faithfully and intentionally right now, right here in this city, in this season of my life. So what about you? What might God be saying to you this morning? Let's just pause for a moment and see if there's something that maybe God has been stirring in your heart today. You know we have a prayer team here that would love to pray with you after the service up here or back in the back room, but maybe there's something that has sort of sparked something in you. Perhaps you can relate to one of those first couple of ways that we talked about in the ways that we relate to those around us, to our culture, to our society, to our neighbors. Maybe, maybe you feel you've so assimilated that there's no distinctiveness left in you as a follower of Jesus. Or maybe you've gone the other way, right? And you feel like you've just completely turned your back on culture. You have a disdain for it. You're more judgmental than loving to the people that God has placed in your life. Or maybe you just want prayer because you feel like God has put you in a really particular season that only you're in with the circle of people around you that only you can reach out to and connect to. And maybe you just want prayer that you would love people really well and be a really good missionary in your sphere of influence. Please pray. Our prayer team would love to join you in that or anything else that's on your heart today. So friends, you and I, those of us that know Jesus, the reality is we are in exile. And until Jesus comes back and makes all things right, we have the tricky but very important task of living on mission here. And we're so lucky we get to be scattered across the globe, right? Malawi and Mali and Thailand and Indonesia and Switzerland and Germany and, and Willoughby and Alder Grove and Walnut Grove and Fort Langley. And so for the many of us who are scattered here locally, may we live as missionaries too, praying for the peace of our city, Langley, working for its shalom, its well-being, this means in your office, in your school, in your networks of friends, in your families, in your neighborhoods. Pray for the shalom of the city. Work for its flourishing. Lord, build your kingdom here. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the privilege we have of being gathered here on Mission Sunday and for the stories that we've been able to hear so far of people who 
are giving up comforts and who have made it their priority in life to serve you and make you known. And God, we pray a blessing on them, on every one of our missionaries. And I pray a blessing, God, on every one of us in this room, God, that we would see ourselves as missionaries too. God, would you give us a heart for those you've put in our lives, in our circle of influence, for those that only we know that we can connect with, our next door neighbors, our families, our colleagues, our friends. So God, increase our heart for this nation. And God, we really do pray, God, that you would soften us and give us sensitivity to, to know where people are at and to, to be the love that they need in their life. God, would you open up doors for us in that? And God, truly with all our hearts, we do just pray, God, with all authenticity, God, would you build your kingdom here? Would you build your kingdom here in Langley? Would you use us to spread your fragrance here, to be a beautiful light in the darkness here? We just pray that you be glorified through all of it. In Jesus' name, amen.